Amen. Thank you, Ryan. I so appreciate his heart. So, I always say after these big holidays, you know, we, had the, we actually had the biggest day in the history of our church last week, but now all the, all the real Christians are here, so <laughs> we can have real church, right? Real Christians always come back even when it's not a holiday. So, and I want to I talk to you about an important subject, and that's knowing God's will. Knowing God's will. Uh, when I became a Christian back in the early 80s, and it, knowing God's will drove me crazy. Because when I became a Christian, I heard you're supposed to do God's will. And I felt like, well, if I don't do God's will, I'm going to get in trouble. So I was obsessed with it to the point where, man, does God want me to drink Mountain Dew or does he want me to drink Pepsi, right? And of course, probably neither. <laughs> but, but that's how far I went with it. And I heard a sermon in the early 80s by a pastor named John MacArthur, and it set me free, set me free. And he talked about how to know God's will from Scripture. That really helped me. So I hope it will help some of you. And you know, it's, a, it's really a good New Year's sermon going into the New Year's. What is God's will for you in 2024? So this is very important stuff. Let me read the verse that I'm going to use today. We, we're in Romans 12. We've kind of finished Romans 12. I almost did this sermon back when we read verse 2 then, and I got sidetracked, but I want to do it now. And I also, what's amazing about this, I looked at my five points. It's kind of an outline of the book of Romans. So it's good review for us as we're going to start Romans 13 coming up very soon. So, let's read Romans 12, 2. To start us off, it says, Paul says, remember he said, now in, in light of all of God's grace and mercy he's given you, remember he said, surrender your body as a living sacrifice to God. And then he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? Now listen to what is the will of God? It is good and acceptable and perfect. God's will for you is good, acceptable, and perfect. So you need to know what God's will is. Now some of you experts, you've heard these kind of things before. But remember, we've got younger brothers, sisters, we've got brand new people. I had a young man, it was so encouraging, he came out last week and he said to me, I have never heard anything like that before, I'll be back. And that just, that, I, man, I live for that. And he's hungry and I, and I want to teach him. So, so as you go verse by verse, some of you, you need the meat of the word. You've been coming to church a long time. Some of you, you're brand new, you need milk. So I think the perfect sermon has both meat and milk, but God knows how to sovereignly do that as we go verse by verse through 
the Scripture. So as a pastor, one of the most questions that I've had over the years, how can I know what God's will is for my life? And a lot of times that's in the area of, a, of what career should I go into or who should I marry or what state should I live in? Where does God want me? And when I first became a Christian, I thought God's will, you know, was something mysterious. Like, I'm supposed to find God's will, and God's up there, you know, saying, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. But that's, that's not how we find God's will. Some of you think God's will is uh, anything that's not enjoyable. You just think God wants to take all your fun away and all your joy away, and you think God's will is going to be the worst thing. That's what God wants. It's not God's will. We saw it is good, acceptable, and perfect. Some people think God's will is like, let's make a deal. So if I, if I pick, pick the right door, if I pick the right door number behind that door, if the right woman's behind there, or the, or the, you know, or the right something is behind there, then I'll choose God's will and it'll work out. If I pick the wrong door, then that's going to be miserable because Cinderella is going to turn into the evil stepmother and Prince Charming is going to turn into the frog. And so, and that's how they think about God's will. And I will say this, when, you, when you're not living according to God's will or seeking his will, you can get yourself into a miserable mess. So we don't want that. Some people think God's will is a mystical accident. So you're walking down the road, and you're thinking about, wow, where does God want me to live? And you slip on a banana pill, and you find a pamphlet that says Alaska. And then they go home, tell the family, we're going to Alaska. And freak his wife out, but that's not how you find God's will. And I do, I'm, you know I'm being sarcastic, but be careful because some people kind of look for these type of signs. And I want you to know that the devil can counterfeit signs and make you think something is God when it is not God. When God does miraculous signs, you know they're from God. And the devil can do this little stuff, and some people can get very sidetracked by that. So be careful out there. Some people think God's will is their feelings, however they feel. So they wake up on Sunday and go, you know what? I don't feel like going to church today. I feel like feeding the seagulls. So it must be God's will that I go to the beach. No. Feelings is one of the worst things you can do as a Christian to go by. Did you, you ever heard that nauseating song back in the 70s? Feelings. Whoa, 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 feelings. That's what's going to happen to you if you go by your feelings. And the Bible has a lot to say about the word whoa. You don't want that. We don't go by feelings. We go by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 says, the righteous shall live by his faith. That's quoted in the book of Romans. 
That's quoted in the book of Galatians. It's quoted in the book of Hebrews. We operate by faith, not faith in faith. It's faith in what? God's word. That's how we are renewed. We talked about this, but we, we renew our mind through God's word. Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So God's will is not some secret we must uncover. God wants us to know his will, and he wants us to understand what it is. And I believe that he always makes his will clear to those who surrender themselves to him. And most, most of the time, we can find out what God's specific will is for our life in Scripture. And even when it's not specific, we can find principles in God's word that help lead us and guide us to choose God's will. But what I'm, So I'm going to give you five S words, and these S words are found in the scriptures I picked out, specifically talking about God's will. This is God's specific will that he wants for you. It's, it's also like an outline of the book of Romans. So number one, guaranteed, it's God's will that you be saved, okay? 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God desires that you be saved. We talked about it last week. People, the worst way to die is die in your sin. So if you're new at this, being saved just means when you come to Jesus Christ, you're saved from the punishment of your sin. That's why we say, yeah, I got saved, because it means you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And I'll say this to you. You can forget about knowing God's will, and you, for, you can forget about doing God's will unless you're saved. Because the first thing God wants from you is for you to surrender your life to him. So that's number one. Second S word. It is God's will that you be sanctified. Okay. Now, sanctified, is a, is a, it's a big word. We don't use it a lot, but it... It, the Bible uses it. It it's, means to be set apart for God, for the purposes of God. So I'll pick th these verses. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. And holiness means you're set apart for God. You, 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 
God desires that you live a clean life. How do you find out what God thinks is clean and what God thinks is dirty? Scripture clearly tells us. And he's clearly telling us here that sexual immorality is an impurity. And so God doesn't want it. We have people in this world who think, well, no, God's going to save me. I can live any old way I want. And I would always tell you, I don't think they're saved if they think like that. Because it's God's will that they turn in, in the early church. In the early church, there was a lot of Gentiles, pagans. This just means they weren't Jewish. They didn't know the scriptures. So they lived in all kinds of sexual, sinful lifestyles. And they didn't know any better. But when they came into the church, they had to learn. They needed to turn from sexual immorality. What's sexual immorality? Any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sexual immorality. That's how you know. You can, uh, you can read your Bible and find this out very clearly. So it's God's will that you be saved, and it's God's will that you be sanctified and live a clean life to glorify God in that sense. If you do that, you will find out what God's will is. God will bless you, and you will find out what is good and acceptable and perfect for your life. If not, it will get you. It will destroy you. It will kill you. Third S word. It is God's will that you be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. Ephesians 5 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There it is, God's will. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul uses the analogy of alcohol because you can, everybody can understand it. When a person is filled with alcohol, it takes over their life. Sometimes it takes over for that moment, and little by little, it really just takes complete control of their life. And God doesn't want you to be controlled by that because it will destroy you. So he says it's like that when you're filled with the Spirit. Okay, people who are filled with alcohol say things and do things they normally wouldn't do. People that are filled with the Spirit, what? Say things and do things they normally wouldn't do. But they do what is good. They do what is pleasing. They do the will of God. He says, because if you, if you do that, it's going to lead to debauchery. What's that? We don't use that word a lot. In the Greek, asotia. It means a reckless and ruined life. A reckless and ruined life. And Paul says, don't be foolish. Don't be reckless. Don't ruin your life. Don't be controlled by the things of this world. I think this, this is a great analogy of understanding being filled with the Spirit, but I think it applies to so many things. We could get, whether it's drugs, alcohol, what other addictions, sex. People have, they're, they're, we've got addictions for everything these days. And when people are addicted to these things of the world, 
It takes control of them. But God wants to deliver you from that. He wants to take control of your life. We don't like that word control, but when God controls us, we are set free. Jesus, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He was talking about your soul. And then he said, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and I am humble. Learn from me. Learn from me, he says. Now, what does that mean, take my yoke upon you? Pour some egg yolk on your head and say your prayers? No. A yoke was a wooden bar used to steer an animal in the ancient times. So they would steer that ox by that yoke. But Jesus says, if you let me yoke you, I will steer you and I will guide you and I will be gentle with you. I will be meek. I will be mild. You'll love it when you give me control and you'll find rest for your soul. So be spirit-filled. I know a lot of people think being spirit-filled means you jump up and down and dance in church and all this other stuff. And you know, listen, hey, if you want to get excited about God and jump up and down, I'm all fine for that. But that's not really being spirit-filled. What is spirit-filled? So everybody has the spirit at salvation. Why aren't we always spirit-filled? The way God designed it was he gives you the power and then he wants you to continue to seek him. And as you seek him and walk in the spirit and obey God, that's how you're filled with the spirit. It's obedience to God's word. Listen, listen to what Galatians says. It tells us what the fruit of the Holy Spirit looks like. Somebody filled with the spirit. What do they look like? Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, meaning, meaning this is in your heart to do when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not doing it because it's some law. It's just naturally coming from your heart. You look at those things on that list. Some of you, you need some of that, don't you? I want that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We all need that. And that's what God wants to do when you let him control your life. Number four. There's only five. Number four. Now, those first three, we like those. But these next two, the last two, we, we cringe a little bit. So fasten your seatbelt as we go to the next two. Number four, it is God's will that you suffer. It is God's will that you suffer. This is so important for you to hear. Because we live in a day and age of TV preachers that lie to you and tell you that come to Jesus and all your problems are going to go away. And the Bible is very clear, and when we look at all of the men of God and women of God in Scripture, 
There were times of suffering in their life. First Peter says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. If you do good and it causes suffering, that's better, because that's God's will. But don't suffer for doing evil. Philippians 1.29 says, For it is granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So there's times when being a Christian it can bring persecution. And like I say, I've been saying it, it, that's starting to escalate, even in our country, where the persecution of Christianity, and man, we need each other. We need each other. We need to get close in here and stay strong with everything that's going to come after us. The book of James talks about how sometimes you go through trials and tribulations. It's suffering in your life. And that happens because God is building character. So when that happens, you need to embrace that. That's God's will. Um, now, now again, I do think there are times Christians suffer because they're not obedient to God. So they live in the discipline of God, and they're stubborn, and they're always in a correcting storm. But sometimes you're living for God, you're, you're seeking to do God's will, you're surrendered, you're loving God, and this storm comes into your life that you didn't ask for. That's a perfecting storm, that God is perfecting you or even using you, because we've had saints of God in our church who suffered. And they displayed great character and great commitment to their Savior, and it influenced others. So that's part of it. Sometimes God's will will call you to suffer, okay? Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.8 5, says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, even when you're going through a hard time, you're just honest with God. God, this is so hard right now. I don't know how to deal with this. God, I need your help. I need your strength. But God, thank you that you're a good God. Thank you that you have purpose in this. Give me strength to get through it and to do your will. To do your will. Fifthly and finally, it's God's will. For every Christian to be submissive. I think this is the toughest one on the list. Because people do not like that word submissive. They hate it. They do not want to be submissive. They want to be right. And so they don't want to submit. And that's their excuse for not submitting. Because they are right. And God could care less who's right. He's called you to be submissive in so many areas. Now listen to this. This, this, is, this is a verse that's a cross-reference because we're going to go into Romans 13 and talk about how Christians are called to submit to the government. But Peter says this in chapter 2, 1 Peter. He says, be subject or be submissive for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors 
as sent to him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When you are submissive into the midst of what the evil is going on in the world, you silence people. And they can't help but see your character in so many areas. And I know some of you are thinking, Peter wrote this about being submissive to the government before he knew we were going to have the government that we have in our world today. Well, let me just tell you, the emperor at the time, that was Nero. He was a maniac who murdered Christians. Submission, listen, submission does not mean that we like everything that people in government that are doing evil things do. Submission is an attitude of respect, okay? It doesn't mean that we don't say this is wrong when something is wrong. But it's, it's all about our attitude. We've got to stop being disrespectful to government leaders when we disrespect them because that's not God's will. It's not God's will. And I know this is hard, but it's Scripture. If we do God's will, that's what we are, submissive people. The Bible talks, so many things we could talk about. Ephesians 5 talks about wives submitting to their husbands. There are people in this world who who would call me evil for just saying that today. (laughs) Wives submit to your husbands? (laughs) Over the years, I've had women so mad at me and storm out of church. I always take the women's side, and they're still mad at me. I, pre- I preached a sermon on submission and entitled it, Is God a Male Chauvinist? And then answered the question, no, God isn't. And God doesn't want you to, to put up with abuse or that you have to agree with a husband that's not doing the will of God. It's all about your attitude. It's your attitude and the way you talk and and that you give him respect. And if he's trying his best to be the leader of your home, my goodness, thank God for that. And and you should submit to that. Submission isn't your wife, I'm sorry, your husband beat you up. and, And then so you call your mom and you say, Mom, well, he beat me up tonight. And your mom says, you need to call the police. And you say, well, no, they talked about submission in church on Sunday. So I don't No, that's not submission. That's not submission. If you're in an abusive relationship, you need to get out of there. You need to get out of there. Let's get that guy some counseling. But submission is your attitude, the way you handle it. Right after Paul talks about being submissive, wives submitting to your husbands. You know what he then he says? He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you know what that means? That's the ultimate submission. Because Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. So, man, that's the ultimate submission. You lay your life down for your wife. 
But because the word submit's not there, that evil word submit, people don't see that he's saying, then verse 21 makes it clear, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Tells children to submit to parents. It goes on to say employees should submit to their employers. You say, but my boss is Nero. Yeah, I know. But what are we saying in Scripture? Submit to your boss. Then it says, employers should be submissive to their employees. What about that one? That's a tough one. What does that mean? Because you're a boss right now, and you're thinking, well, these guys, i got work under me. You're crazy tomorrow. If I submit to those guys, we ain't going to get nothing done. It's your at, it's, it, listen, it's your attitude toward them. You need to treat your employees with respect, employers. That's what God has called you to do. So this is, this is an attitude. This is an attitude that all of us should have in being submissive. So let's close this up. It's New Year's Eve. We've got to take communion. Here's what I believe. I believe if you do these specific things that are God's clear will in Scripture, you can do whatever you want and you'll be in God's will. It doesn't matter if you go to Alaska. It doesn't matter if you stay in Florida. If you do God's specific will, you'll be in his will. Now, of course, I think... Being submissive people, submitting to God, we, we should wake up every day going, God, show me what you want for my life today. Show me what your will is. So yeah, I think we should pray about God's will. I think when we have to make a big decision in life, we should pray about it and ask God. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you. And maybe if God doesn't seem to be answering, maybe that's the answer, that you're supposed to stay where you're at for now. Until he opens another door. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm just telling you this. You don't have to find God's will. If you do God's specific will in Scripture, God's will will find you. I, I told you the first day, I didn't want to come to Northport. I didn't want to. It was God's will that we came to Northport, but I didn't want to do God's will because I didn't know any better. But where we were at, we were really trying to do, I was really trying to do God's will as a pastor. And so guess what? I found God's will. Even though I'm dumb and I didn't know any better, now I'm here. And I love it here. And God's, because God's will is what we would choose if we knew what we were supposed to choose, right? So, and now that I'm here, man, it is good, it is pleasing, it is perfect. I love it here. Man, I, I want to move here now. This is awesome. <laughs> awesome place to live. Awesome place for a church to share the gospel. So God's will will find you if you do his specific will in Scripture. So you're a young man in here. You're thinking about asking this girl out, and you don't know what God's will is, whether you should ask her out or not, right? So what do you do? Well, you look to God's word. And I, I can tell you 
that when you look at God's word, you're going to find out it's God's will that you be with a Christian. That's God's will. That's because that's what's best for you. So right there, if they're not a Christian, I already know the answer. You don't even have to pray about it. Because you don't have to pray about anything that's in God, God's word specifically. You, you just obey it, right? But if she's a Christian and you're a Christian, then you want to ask her out? And you're, trying to, you're doing God's specific will? Go for it, man. Go for it. You say, yeah, but what if she says, leave me alone. I don't want to be with you. That's God's will. Great. <laughs> you just found out God's will. It's real simple. This is not that hard. The problem is, here's the problem. Sometimes we want God's will to be our will. But if we knew better, when that girl said no, if we knew what God was saving us from, we would fall down on our knees. I thought it was God's will that I married this girl I met in third grade up in Pittsburgh. You should see her now. Thank God I found Dara. <laughs> All right, time to quit. I've been having a co co the cold medicines affecting me. <laughs> Sorry, you gotta love me, you gotta forgive me. So, so anyway, two more scriptures and then we'll take communion. All right, John fourteen twenty one. I love this. Jesus says. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, whoever looks to my word and obeys me, he it is who loves me. That proves he loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Love that. If you love me, Jesus, we're going to see this in John's gospel. Keep my commandments. And if you keep them, that means you love me. And and me and my father, we're going to love you back. And he says, I will manifest myself. I will make myself so known to you. You will know me, and you'll find my will for your life. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart, meaning your desires will become his desires. Okay? Seek him with all your heart. God's will. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Pray with me. Pray with me. We're going to take communion now as a church after I pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to obey it. Thank you for loving us, God. Give us a desire to do your will. Lead us and guide us to it. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger for your will. Give us faith to trust you. For the righteous shall live by faith. Thank you for those words, Lord. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to take communion. Communion is on the front of your should be in the front of you, people in the front row, it's beside you. Just a kind of a quicker way to pass it out. 
on Communion Sunday, just in case you're visiting with us. And I know we got some new people coming. Uh, communion doesn't save you. It has no power in it itself. Communion is designed to remember what Jesus did. So the, it's not really the bread that's the communion. It's your heart communing with God because you're remembering Jesus. And so the night before Jesus died, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, guys, you know, when you get together and worship, do this and remember me. Take the bread. And, and so let's take it. Let's remember Jesus, our Savior. And then he took, he took the wine, he took the wine and he said, you know, this is the blood of my covenant. So when you get together and worship, you take the wine and you remember my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. So Jesus' death gave us access to God. We have peace with God. We're not at war with him. Now we can experience the peace of God through his spirit. And so he died so we could be with him forever. He died so we could do his will. Let's take and remember his blood. Father, thank you again. Thank you for communion, God. May we never take it for granted. Lord, now as we worship and close out this service, may we sing these words with awe. May we sing these words with love for you. Thank you for going to that cross, Jesus, and dying in our place. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for allowing us to do your beautiful will. Thank you for your word that teaches us about it. Help us to obey it. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.